Hey, it's good to see everybody. My name is Aaron Farley, and I am so glad I get a chance to talk with you today. Now, I know you're looking at me, and you're like, this is not normally what the guy on stage looks like. But let me reassure you, this is all part of the job description, okay? I am our student director here at Sagebrush, which means I get the awesome opportunity to work with our high school and middle school ministry called Remix, which is so awesome. We have the best students in the world at this church. Now, I know you're like, what does a youth pastor do on the day-to-day, in the nine-to-five, in the work week? So many people want to know that. What does a student director do? Just, we do more than playing dodgeball and eating pizza, all right? I know that's been your whole idea. That's all we do. That, that is a big part of the job description, uh, but that's only a small piece. We have so much that goes on at our church every weekend. And if you ever see a family dragging their teenager out of the backseat of that car, and their eyes look bloodshot red, they've got like their hair matted in the back, It's because they have not slept for like four days straight. They played Fortnite or watched every single possible thing on TikTok. Their parents have got them by the back of that hoodie that they're wearing, whether it's 10 degrees or 100 degrees, and they've got shorts and Crocs on just the same. The weather has no, you know, it doesn't matter to them, all right? And they come in, their parents have forced them to come into the student room, and they're just like, please, just do anything to put a smile on their face and tell them something about Jesus, all right? Parents, thank you for making our life so easy. Thank you for that, all right? No, I absolutely love it. I'm a little biased, but I believe we have the best students in the world. Let me tell you a little bit about what we have seen in Remix over this last year here at our church. We've seen 200 students come to make a decision to follow Christ this last year. I mean, that is so exciting. It's incredible. And we have saw 150 of those students take the next step to actually then choose to be baptized as well in this ministry. And yeah, it's been crazy how God is doing in our Remix environment. So let me say this, if you're a high school or middle schooler, you're hearing me today, any of our services, any of our campuses, go and find the student director. Give them a high five. They love to give you something for free and tell you more about our future opportunities. If you're digital, you can always check us out on the Remix app where we have loads of content digitally for you as well. If you're an adult in the room and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're like, man, this kind of moved me. I need to serve. I need to get a part of this. I learned years ago that 90% roughly of young people who will make a decision to follow Jesus do so before the age of 18. So our student ministry is kind of like that home stretch. It's an opportunity for you to come in and help these students in that last moment before they go into young adulthood. And you could maybe be a part of seeing a young person's life and eternity changed. If you're interested in doing that, you can always go to the Sagebrush app, click decisions, and then go on there and sign up to serve. You can also text 505-922-9200, and we'll be in contact with you this week. We would love to have you come in and help us serve. But let me open with a quick story. I remember a time that I went to a bachelor party. You're like, I just got over the man bun and everything else, man. Now you're going to tell me about a bachelor party. Well, there is this time that we had decided we were all going to go mudding, all right? Like, I'm in Georgia. We're in the southeast, okay? This is not a normal bachelor party. This is a Christian bachelor party. And to add insult to injury, this is a redneck Christian bachelor party, all right? So you already see where this is going. We're going mudding, and it's freezing in the morning in Georgia. you got so many layers on. By the afternoon, you're blazing hot, and the humidity is at like 90%. So you've got sweat dripping in only places God needs to know about. And we decide we're going to go out there, but this is not just mudding as normal. This isn't just a regular four-wheeler or a golf cart you see at your family's house. 
These are one of those rented, side-by-side machines, full four doors, leather interior, surround sound audio. It has every bell and whistle. It's this ATV that would just blow your mind. And I was like, you know what? I'm not qualified to drive this thing. I was like, I don't even want to drive my mom's hand-me-down Toyota Corolla. I'm definitely not going to wreck this machine today. I don't want to be the one having to pay for this. So I hopped in the back seat that afternoon. Well, there was another guy on the trip with us. And that morning, he had drank some not-so-Christian juice. Okay, I'm not talking orange juice or apple juice. Are you following me? He had a few sips that were not on the Christian bachelor party with us. And he decided he was qualified to jump in the driver's seat. Well, I completely forgot about it. I had not even thought about him having something to drink that morning until about two seconds in when he is pedaled to the metal. I, I mean, foot to the floor. We are just flying and we go around this first curve. You know, the back wheels are coming off. You're seeing the dust behind us. We are all of a sudden in the redneck, fast and furious, episode 90 or whatever they're on now. And that's all fun. That's all great until we hit a massive mud pit, which is kind of what you're supposed to do, but not at the speed we were going. And we begin to sink. And we go from the redneck, fast and furious to the redneck Titanic. Okay, we're all freaking out. We're screaming. We're unbuckling. We get out of this thing. And I just remember thinking, why did I let this guy drive for me today? Have you ever been there? You hopped in the back seat. And the driver is up there. They got a soda in one hand. They're texting or emailing in the other. They're blasting the radio. They've got Taylor Swift on and they're dancing. And you're like, who is driving as we're swiftly approaching traffic? You know what I mean? You ever had that moment? All my control freaks and backseat drivers, you at least you know exactly what I mean. Well, today I want to talk about in our lives, how many of us have gotten in the backseat? I don't mean in an actual car. I mean, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, how many of us have jumped in the backseat of life and we allowed all these other influences and people to begin to control and drive us to places we could never have imagined? Do you remember last year at the end of 2022, you had these big goals and aspirations for all that 2023 would hold? You said, well, you know what? My bank account will be the best it's ever been. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to go after my family and my friends. I'm going to get involved in church. I'm going to spend time with God. We had all these amazing goals, but somewhere, if you're anything like me, throughout every year, it's kind of like I become a little more lethargic. Things slow down a little bit. I get a little less disciplined. And all of a sudden, I kind of end the year in a worse position than I was when I started. I'm just getting dragged along the back. I'm no longer even close to even in the vehicle, much less in the driver's seat. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's driving. I want you to take a second and consider with me some of the influences that if we're not careful, might begin to control and drive our lives. It could be personal pride, laziness, or settling for subpar. Relationships, sex, money, media, pride, influence. I mean, all these things, they're not inherently evil, but when they begin to control our futures, we are going to end up sinking. Today, I want us to talk about how do we take the only pilot, the only one worth trusting, and put him in the driver's seat of our life. How do we hand God the keys and say, I need to go your way, not my own. I don't trust where I've been going or what anybody else has for me. God, you need to drive my life. How do we put God in the driver's seat? We're going to do that by looking through the life of Moses. Now, if you don't know much about Moses, let me give you a little bit of history. Moses was born into a Hebrew nation at the time when the Hebrews were enslaved to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were so scared of the threat of revolt from these Hebrews that they decide they're going to kill every Hebrew boy that is born. I mean, that's a good way to have population control, kill all the young men. So Moses' mother's pregnant. She's about to give birth. And right as she is, I mean, can you, can you fathom that? Your worst nightmare being having a healthy baby boy. There's no ultrasounds. There's no gender reveal parties. She has this baby and her worst nightmare, it's a young man. She's scared for her life, his life. 
She takes the baby, she builds this small little basket, and she sends him upriver. She has hopes and dreams that Pharaoh's daughter, she'd bathe about that same time each day, and she's hoping that maybe she'd save her son's life. Well, sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter does that, just, just that. She takes this little baby and she raises him as her own. Moses is raised as an Egyptian, but he and every single person he knows, they all know he's a Hebrew. I mean, it's pretty clear. Well, as Moses gets a little older, things begin to bother him a little bit differently. He's out there and he's seeing these slave drivers abusing his people, abusing his nation, abusing all of his own family line. So Moses takes matters into his own hands and he grabs a hold of the steering wheel of his life and he goes out and he kills one of these Egyptian slave drivers. He hides the body tries not to think much of it, and just keeps on moving with life until rumor gets around that Moses had done that. He killed this man. Well, can you think about what Pharaoh would do? I mean, what, what would he possibly think? The young boy he's raised in his own family line has now killed one of his own men. So Moses gets scared for his life. He runs off. He's alone. He goes into this place of hiding in an area called Midian. Now I want to pause the story just for a moment. Because we're going to talk a lot today how we connect with Moses and how we relate to him. But I think this is really where it all begins for so many of us. How many of us, out of frustration and agitation, we've grabbed a hold of the steering wheel of our life and we've decided we're going to go down this path exactly what I want, how I want it, when I want it, exactly the way that I'm going to do it and no one can tell me otherwise. I'm going to control my own future. There's a reason Jeremiah 17 tells us that our own heart is the most deceitful resource that we will ever lean on. Because when we jump in that driver's seat, we start thinking, oh, I'll go here, I'll do this, I'm going to have my life my way. We start wondering, well, is everybody seeing me? They see how good I'm doing, how much money I'm making, how great my family is, how amazing our life is, how good we have it. We jump in that driver's seat and so do all of our insecurities. Next thing you know, we think we deserve all the amazing things in life. You ever said any of these statements? I deserve that raise. I deserve that promotion. I deserve what they have. I deserve my wife to wait on me hand and foot. Good luck to you guys on that one, okay? I deserve a break. I deserve more money. I deserve better. I deserve it all. And we start thinking that we've got this. And we start thinking the whole rest of the world, but you know what? It revolves around me. I'll drive over anyone and anything that gets in the way of the life that I want and I think that I deserve. That's what happened to Moses. See, yesterday he was eating like a king, but today all he's doing is walking the sheep pastures. His decisions have wrecked him to feel alone and in pain. His own self-inflicted brokenness is all he seems to know now. Maybe you've been there. Maybe right now you feel like you've wrecked in a ditch that only God can pull you out of. Well, the good thing is, Moses needed this time for growth. See, do you think God could have possibly spoke to Moses while he was still in that Egyptian palace? All the money, all the women, all the food, the busyness of life, do you think he'd ever heard from God? And if somehow he did, could he have possibly believed God had something better for him than he already thought he had in his life? See, it's in Moses' weakest point that God shows him his strength. There's a lesson there. Sometimes when we're at our worst, we can hear God the best. Today, if you feel stuck and lost in a ditch, you don't know what's going to happen or how you're going to get out, God has not given up on you. God sees your life. He wants to help you. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to pull you out of that. You can begin to hear him. Maybe you are positioned for the first time ever to actually place God in that driver's seat, to give him the keys and let him steer you down the life that he has created and designed for every single one of us. So let's see what God does to now call Moses. Verses say this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Pastor Charles Stanley talks about how God used a burning bush in Moses' life. How often in our lives he'll do just that. See, it's crazy because God could not have called Moses in any clearer way. I mean, this is the most amazing sight for Moses to see and then begin to hear God's plan and his voice from. Imagine you're out walking your dogs or riding your bike. All of a sudden you see a bush on fire. What would you do? I'd jump on the phone. I'd be freaking out. I'd call the fire department. Until a little while in, you start realizing, well, the leaves aren't on fire. No one's at risk of harm or danger. I guess everything's okay. You'd probably take your phone up and instead start videoing and posting it and sending it to all your friends. You're seeing this miracle or a feat of nature. That's exactly what happens to Moses. It says he stared in amazement. That says Moses' jaw dropped. Can you picture an old cartoon, the, the jaw to the floor, that moment? Have you ever had a moment like that? I think we all have. We all know what it's like to have our jaws dropped. Married men in the room. I know you remember your jaw dropping when your wife walked down the aisle. I know you remember that right now. And ladies, if he doesn't look like he is, just take your elbow, dig it right in between his rib cage, just right. When my wife does that, it, my memory sparks so quick. Single guys in the room, saw plenty of your jaws drop. It's that young lady walked down the aisle in front of you even today, all right? And so now's a good time to wipe that drool up, get in prayer, let Jesus take the wheel. You'll talk to her after service, hopefully, okay? Any hungry people in the room? It's not, you know, anybody got hungry? Okay, that's me, my people. I know you. Hey, listen, I'm getting three soft tacos. That's it. I'm on budget. I'm on diet. Nothing's going to break this. As I go in this restaurant, nothing, no one, I am staying on diet today. Three soft tacos, that it. Until your jaw drops because they bring out those sizzling fajitas. Do you know what I'm talking about? The ones that sing to you. And, and you can't even hear yourself think as you're hearing the angels sing with that waiter walking by. And oh, as the, as the fajitas come by your table, your jaw not only drops at the food, but it drops at that bill that was $40 more than expected. Here's the deal. When God does crazy things in our life, when he begins to reveal himself to you, our jaws should drop just the same. I know what you're thinking. Well, Aaron, if I walked out in my front yard and I looked over and those weeds that have been growing up and piling up over there that my neighbor will not mess with, if God would set them on fire and set them ablaze, he'd not only be answering prayer, but I would listen. I'd obey. God, please. You know? But the thing is, is that's not how God's always going to work. Pastor Charles Stanley also says, well, God used a burning bush in your life, like the one he did for Moses, no, but one that would grab your attention, yes. See, God may use a different direction or a different moment that we're not recognizing that burning bush that he is calling us with. Something in your schedule or job just changed. Was it maybe God freeing you up to notice him? Did you wake up in the middle of the night last week? If it wasn't the fajitas coming back for round two, all right, that's a different story. Maybe God wanted you to spend some uninterrupted time with him. Do you have a life-changing coincidence or someone who just stepped into your life? Was it maybe not all that coincidental? God may place people or moments in our life for us to follow and see him, to follow the life that he has for us. And if we're not reflecting and spending time with him regularly, we could so easily, so quickly miss all that God has for us. God sees your life and if you felt stuck, lost, empty, he wants to call you out and he may use the craziest of ways to begin to do that. Let's see what goals God sets before Moses. It says this, the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because they're harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. 
Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Here's the thing. God didn't call Moses to some small move or some mediocre change in his life. Oh no, when God drives, it's life-changing. God called Moses to change everything about who he was, and not just him, but his entire nation of Israel. And Moses is about to set them free of slavery. That's the call before his life. This is good news for every one of us today. Because God has never called you to settle for subpar. God will never call you to just be mediocre. If you've been wondering in this life, is it all it has to offer? Let me tell you, when you begin to follow God's will for your life, you will be set on the adventure of a lifetime. There is nothing better than being in his will and in his plan for our future. He's called us to leverage our finances, our opportunities, our relationships, our decisions, everything we are, to be everything for him. But if we instead blend those things control us. Consider this just for a moment. What does Moses do next? Well, Moses is called out of this place in Midian. He's stuck, lost, empty, and alone. God calls him in this crazy way. His jaw's dropping. It's amazing. Now he's calling him to change the world. But Moses, he makes excuses. See, here's the thing. I think a lot of us will do the exact same way. Because that big, bold calling, it sounds too big. It sounds too amazing. We know we could never be the one to do it. Although it's really simple. It would just be having a conversation with someone, letting them know, hey, Jesus has a plan for your life. Hey, why don't you come to church? Let's listen to the worship and message. We could grab lunch afterwards. Hey, man, what if we open this meeting with a prayer today? What if we just had a quick spiritual conversation of what happens? What do you think happens when we die? You just have a loved one who passed? Like, what if we had a conversation about what do you think happens to us? All of a sudden, it becomes a little more easy, a little more practical. And in these moments, though, how many of us, if you're like me, I can make a million excuses just like Moses why I can't do it. Let's read along to the five excuses Moses makes, even though he's being called in this amazing time. Number one, it says, But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And I was like, God, I can't be me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I, I don't know all this stuff. It can't be me. And God reminds him that by his power, Moses could certainly do it. But Moses protests back, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, What's his name? Then what should I tell them? So Moses is like, well, God, what should I tell him? Who sent me? What God sent me? What does that even mean? And this is where God gives Moses that answer of I am who I am. He gives him the time and all eternity, the same God as the God who's sending Moses. Well, Moses retorts back. He protests again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Oh, okay, Moses, a burning bush spoke to you. I'm sure that's God. You know, that sounds great. That's what he's thinking. He might be thinking the same thing, another excuse. Well, here God starts giving Moses like miracles, He's able to take his staff, throw it on the ground, it turns into a snake, and he can pick it back up, it turns into a staff again. He can stick his hand in his jacket and back out. He has a skin-eating disease, in and back out, and he's healed. He can pour the Nile River onto the ground, and all of a sudden it turns into blood. See, God is giving Moses such clear signs. And I would think, okay, you know, this would probably be enough for me to take this plunge and to take this amazing leap, you know. But still, Moses comes back and pleads with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. So I was like, God, even if I do it, you know, I can't speak well in front of other people. I don't know the right words to say. It just doesn't make sense. And God's like, I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the voice. I'll give you the tongue in your mouth to speak. Finally, lastly, Moses says, but Lord, please, just send anyone else. Doesn't that really sum it up? Moses didn't want to be the one to make the difference. He didn't want to be the one to step out of his comfort zone and who he was, what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go. He just wanted to sit in his own comfort and do the life that he thought that he wanted. And God actually begins to get frustrated with Moses. 
I do too. I'm like, Moses, come on, man, get it together. Like, what do you do? What do you mean you can't do it? What do you mean you don't got this? Come on, bro, you can do this. You got these miracles. Get up and get going. But I have learned in my life that a lot of times when I'm pointing my finger at someone else, there's always those three fingers pointing back at the person who's really trying to deflect the issue off of my life. See, if you could see our own life the same way we see Moses, I mean, we're seeing it all in history. We're seeing it in perfect 2020 vision. We see everything he did, everything he was, everything he was going to do, and all that's in between. So it's pretty easy to tell right and wrong and be frustrated when they have an excuse. Imagine if someone could see our life like that. Imagine if you could see your own life like that. If you could hit the .5 button and zoom out and see everything from a 10,000-foot view, how many times would we be frustrated with ourselves? Oh, why didn't you go there? Why didn't you make a difference for them? Why didn't you speak up? Why did you walk by that person in need? Why didn't you pray with them? Why didn't you bring up the conversation of God before we lost our loved one? Why? We could go on and on and on of all the opportunities we missed. Why didn't we get plugged into our church? Why? I mean, we could just keep going. We get so mad at ourselves. So we do with Moses. Instead, what if we began to learn from Moses? That our excuses, they only get us further from God's goals. It's about all they're good for. It's pulling us away from God's best plan and God's best interest, who he designed you to be, what he's created you to do. Our excuses, they really show one thing about our faith, and that is we have a lack of it. Because when we tell God, no, God, I can't go. I can't be the one to speak up. God, that door would never open for me. It could never be me who would stand up. There's no way that this could possibly happen. You're telling God he's not big enough to open the door. We're telling God he's not big enough to use us and to use us in our failure and in our good and all to, to help us. Like we're saying, God, you just can't do it. My excuse shows that I have a lack of faith in you. So we've gone on and on today. On this conversation of what happens? Why haven't we got God in the driver's seat? How have we missed it? How did Moses miss it? How have we made excuses? But how do we actually get God there? How do we give him the keys and place him in that seat and get this next year right and get ourselves going? I've got three quick things for you to reflect, remove, and respond. Number one, we've got to reflect. Remember when we talked about those burning bushes? How many times have we missed that in our life? Where has God been trying to speak or lead you and you have hoped that he would, you would hear from him? You've been praying, but somehow we've missed it because we haven't been creating time in our schedule. We haven't been cutting out time to spend active relationship and time and conversation with God. We have to reflect with him every single day. And we begin to do that. It's gonna lead to number two, which is we have to remove some things. For many of us, it might be removing some distractions. It might be removing a relationship. It might be removing ourselves from a situation where these people are doing things that we know better than to be a part of. But if we really want to get serious with our time with God, if we want him to drive, we're going to have to reorient our priorities. We're going to have to remove some things out to make way for him. We've got to reflect. We've got to remove. So lastly, we can respond. And we can respond with an excuse or we can respond by making a difference. But it's very rare that we will be able to do both of those things. We need to take action. We need to find places and moments in our life of how we're actually going to change the course, what goals, what plans, what people we're going to set in place so we can get ourselves to respond to God in action and not keep making excuses. But unfortunately, statistically, end of the year, we'll have this motivating conversation, we'll read God's word, but I know that so many times I've heard a message or a talk like this and I didn't leave any different than when I came in. It was all great, it was all motivating and everything else, but I just, nothing changed in my life. Statistically, that'll happen for the majority of us in the room. I imagine there's a coach and a player out there who thought about how God given them a certain ability, a skill set. So they decided to get into what they're doing now and they were going to be active and they decided they were going to be a leader in that locker room and with these people, with their friends and with these players, they were going to stand up and show God's given ability to display who God is. But somehow, 
the win-loss column became more important, who they are, what everybody thought, the success rate of their life. They've made excuse why they can't follow God anymore. I imagine there's a couple ladies in the room who think about that workplace talk right before work or right at lunch, right when everybody's in the office to start the meeting. And they felt that nudge several times to invite someone to church or to open in prayer, to, to take a moment and really reflect and respond in a relationship with God that would lead others to that. But instead, they've got excuses why no, it doesn't make sense for them to bring it up. I imagine there's a parent in the room, thinks of that son, that daughter. They could just be a little bit more intentional with their time, quit trying to keep up with the Joneses, quit worrying about their schedule and staying a little bit later so they could actually do the ministry God's called them to, that is their own family he's placed them with, to show that love and intentionality, but they'll keep going back to the status quo. I imagine there's many young people in the room who, maybe like myself, I can think after excuse, after excuse, after excuse, after reason, after reason, why I would not get up and stand out and make a difference in the groups that I was in, the people I was around. So I started listing out some of the excuses I know I've made in my life. I wonder if you'll relate with any of these. See, when God's called me, when God's challenged me, when I know he has a future and a plan for my life, I started thinking of the reasons I've told God, no, I just don't think I'll be able to do it. A lot of times I think I'll just say, God, I can't. To sum it up real simply, real easily, it could not be me. There is no way. Just like Moses started, I could never do this. And here's all the reasons why. Because I think I'd rather just wait till tomorrow. God, if you give me a little bit of time, let me prep. Let me get ready for all this. I need a little bit. I need a week, a month, a year. I need to wait till I graduate. I need to wait till my kids graduate. I need to wait till the season's right because I can't do it today. I got to get ready for this because simply put, I just don't have the time right now. God, I just, you see how busy I am. I've got all this work and I come home. I've got a million other things on my plate. I just spend in this and that and this and I just, I don't have the time to make time for you. There's just no way. Maybe there's many of us in the room who said, well, God, no one wants me to be the one to do it anyways. Why would anybody care if I stood up or stood out? If I started the conversation, if I led the discussion, and somebody asked me a question, I wouldn't even know what to say. I hardly know you, God. I mean, this is all new to me. There's no way you want me to do this. I could not be the one. I'm unworthy. And if it's not me, certainly, God, you'll call someone else to do it anyways. How many of us have said, oh, if somebody else at the church will jump in, I'll jump right in with them. God, I promise if they'll lead the prayer, you better believe I'll be right there beside them. If they'll jump in and all the people from my kids' sports team, if that other dad will leave, I'll jump in, I'll help, I'll get them, invite them to church. I'll do it if someone else will do it. Because at the end of the day, I feel summarizing, I just am unqualified for all this. All this list, all these things, all this calling, all this direction, getting in the driver's seat. I think why about halfway through the year we start falling off is because we just simply feel unqualified to do it. But I get to look at this list. kind of looks like an assignment I turn into work or school growing up. Maybe your kids would turn an assignment like this in. But if this is a summary, and I, I believe, unfortunately, my list would keep going for a few pages. I don't know about yours, of the reasons why I wouldn't stand up for God or do the things I knew better than to do. But if this is a summary of my life, and I was going to get some kind of grade on who I've been and what I've done, I think, unfortunately, it would look a lot like that, that I failed. And this is one of the biggest reasons that people will not do something is the fear of failure. God, I cannot do it. I won't have the time. I can't make it happen. You wouldn't want me. I'm a failure. There is no way to sum all this up that you could ever want me to be the one. But there's one good thing about an F. I learned this a long time ago as a kid, unfortunately, to my parents' demise. That is very quickly, you can turn it into an A. You ever seen that? Right? Like, just that quickly. Okay, one line. Same color. That's all you need. Some of the parents get nervous because they're like, oh, that was an F that they brought home before Christmas break. But that's all right. Here's the deal. If we feel like this failure, like we don't really got it together, I can promise you God can change it around to an A just as quick. We've been saying, oh, I can't. 
God's been saying, yes, you can. Philippians 4.13 says you can do all things through the power that God gives you, through the strength that he places within you. You have the authority and power to be able to do these things. We say, I'll do it tomorrow. Have we forgotten that we got to make the most of our time today? The book of Matthew reminds us we're not promised tomorrow. The only thing you're promised is about the one second you got right now. we got to make the most of it because once it's gone, we'll never get it back either. We say, well, I just don't have the time. There's no way it could be me. There's no way. I, I just have so much going on. I'm too busy. We have to make the time for God in our life. I mean, I just want us to consider how many things do we make time for? How many TV shows have we binge watched? How much this week did we waste our time sitting around eating how many desserts? I gained 10 pounds in seven days, people, all right? We have got to make time for God. We've got to find time. We've got to cut out time. We've got to remove some things to prioritize our time with God. No one wants me to do it anyways. If you've been feeling that, let me tell you this. God's called you wanted. See, you say, oh, I, don't, I just can't do it. Well, Moses said he wasn't able to because he didn't have all the right speech. He couldn't say things correctly. What does God tell him back? That he's the one who gave him the tongue. He's the one who gives him the ability. If you'd step out in faith, if you'd step out and just give God a shot and step out and say, you know what, I'm gonna give a shot even though I don't know all the answers, I believe God will lead you and help you to begin to have those conversations. God wants you to do it. Follow me on this one. You're saying, well, someone else will do it. I want you to think about this. What if you're someone else's someone else? You ever thought about that? What if you are the someone else? Those people who keep waiting for someone to lead the prayer. You're sitting there, you say, man, I wish somebody else would do this. When you go to that sports game with your kid, you say, man, I wish somebody would invite this whole team to our church and everything. It'd be great if some of these other families got to know what the relationship with God that my family has. Oh, man, if my, in my class at school when everybody's messing around, I wish somebody else would tell them, hey, let, let's get it serious. Let's quit having that kind of jokes. Let's not talk about people that way. What if God puts you there to be the someone else that you've been waiting on? I believe he has. To sum it all up, we're unqualified. I heard this saying a long time ago. Maybe you have too. God doesn't call the qualified, but he certainly will qualify the called. Let me tell you this today. You are called and you are qualified. Today, God wants to lead you into a life that you could never even expect or dream. He's got something so much bigger for you. Oh, you think, I wrecked in Midian. I've screwed it up. I have made so many mistakes in my life. There is no way Moses killed a man and God still called him out to do something life-changing for his people. God will certainly use you too. So what action do you need to take today? Maybe there's someone in the room you never even accepted Jesus. You heard everything I said and you're like, man, I want to be on an adventure of a lifetime. I want to give this a shot. I want to give this a try. Then so quickly, all you have to do is go talk to some of our decision counselors in our decision rooms. We have this all across our campuses and you can always do this digitally as well by texting that 505-922-9200 or on our Sagebrush app. If there's anybody in the room who says, well, maybe I need to get baptized. I think a lot of us can make a lot of excuses why we don't want to get baptized. I don't want to get on stage. I don't want my feet to be showing. We can go on and on and on. Maybe next year. I mean, how amazing would it be to start off a new year accepting that call of obedience to be baptized, that first step with God. And lastly, there's many of you in the room. It's New Year's Eve weekend. You've accepted Christ. You've been baptized. There was some kind of nudge in your spirit today. There was something on your heart that you know you want to start changing in 2024. I cannot directly speak to that for you, but I know that God is working on you right now. Maybe some of us, we need to say, hey, I need to get on the phone before I leave this room because I need to say, hey, man, I love you. I forgive you. Let's get past that mess that we have not dealt with in years and get our relationship on track. Maybe there's some people in the room who need to take action by deleting something off their phone or their computer. 
Maybe some people in the room need to take action by setting a goal, finding someone who will help them stay accountable before it for 30, 60 days so they can get on track this next year. Maybe there's some people who need to cut out the time to spend time and reflect with God every single day. All I can tell you is this. You're called, you're qualified. God wants us to take action. Let's quit making excuses. Let's put God in the driver's seat. Let's pray. God, to show up every one of us to reflect on all the things of you to find moments in our life, God, where we do not keep trying to take control and drive ourselves into another ditch after another ditch, into another year, into another year. Help this, God, to be a time where we begin to set some boundaries, we begin to set some things in place so we can remove anything that's pulled us away from you and so we can respond in action and, and not with an excuse, but to the life you called us to live. We felt like a failure and Lord knows we've been scared of failing again. Help anyone who's feeling that kind of burden today as they leave this room to feel free of that, to feel your acceptance, your love, your calling of them into a life that we could only ever even dream of. And we thank you that you're already doing this and you will continue to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.